read the Nicene Creed together. Uh, This is one of the three creeds that our Reformed churches hold to. So, why don't we uh, say this together? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Well, who was Jesus? It's a very important question, I think. Every religion has an opinion about Jesus. Why? Well, because history proves that he was a real person. He really lived, and in fact, the eyewitness evidence for the fact that he died and rose from the dead is almost impossible to deny, which really leaves us with only one question, not did Jesus actually exist, but who was he? Atheists would say Jesus uh, was just a really good guy. New Age spiritualism would say he was enlightened. Uh, Muslims would say he was a great prophet. Jews would have all sorts of differing views on Jesus, but they would agree that he is not a prophet, he's not the Messiah, he's not the Son of God. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would say he is, a, he is a God, little g, but not the one true God, Jehovah, uh, because they would say... Jesus was created by God. Uh, He's not eternal. Now, answering the question of who Jesus really is, I think is probably one of the most important questions in the whole world. And so when I chat to people about Christianity, that's, that's the thing I most want them to wrestle with. If you've tuned in today and you're not a Christian, that's the question I would love you to wrestle with. You know, we can, we can have great conversations about evolution and creation, about what it means to live a good moral life, but, but really all of that hinges on something more foundational. 
which is what are we going to do with this remarkable historical man? Because if he is who he says he is, that's going to change everything. So that's what we're considering this afternoon. Who is Jesus? And throughout about 2,000 years of church history, although there have been many debates, Christians have always given the same answer. Jesus was and is the God-man. Truly God and truly man. Jesus is God in flesh. That's actually what the word incarnation means. It means in flesh. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who came down from heaven as a man to be with us. Which really is an incredible claim, isn't it? If you think about it. Many people today assume that Christianity is one religion among many. And you can really take your pick um, because, you know, you'll end up at the same destination. But when you look closely, you'll discover that Christianity is actually very different to all other religions because of this. You know, maybe, maybe we tend to think of God as being at the top of a mountain. And then all religions are different ways of getting up the mountain, different paths to God. And at the end of the day, you can pick whatever path you want. It's basically always going to be about living a good life, and it will lead to God. But Christianity tips that on its head. Christianity says, actually, God has come down the mountain. And we meet Him at the bottom. Because we're completely helpless to save ourselves or do anything good. He comes down and He carries us up. You see... Jesus is not just a particularly wise, good human who discovered some secret route up the mountain. He's not just a super man. Christianity claims something far more staggering than that. It says he's the God-man, fully God and fully man. Two natures, a divine nature and a human nature in one person. (laughs) Not some kind of mix of God and human, not mostly one and partly the other. Jesus is fully both. Two natures perfectly united in one person, now and for all eternity. And that's, that's a huge claim. It's, it's mind-boggling to start trying to grasp what that really means, which is why over the next few sermons in our Living Theology series, we're going to be talking about this. Tonight, we're particularly going to focus on whether Jesus was really fully divine. uh, And then next week, we'll look at whether Jesus was really fully human. Here's our our plan for today. We want to start by asking, where's, where's the proof? Where's the evidence that Jesus is actually God? And then after that, we're going to ask, well, why did he need to be God? Why is this important? So, first... What evidence is there that Jesus is actually God? Where's the proof? Well, it's it's really all through the Bible. In fact, to deny the divinity of Christ requires all sorts of gymnastics, to be honest. In the the case of the Jehovah's Witnesses, I've I've met some lovely Jehovah's Witnesses. They, They really need a significantly modified translation of the Bible to deny Christ's divinity. 
To help us survey the evidence, we're going to use an acronym, HANDS. Uh, Rob Bauman and Ed Komazuski give us this acronym in their book, Putting Jesus in His Place. We know that Jesus really is God because H, He shares the honor due only to God. A, He shares the attributes of God. N, He shares the names of God. D, He does deeds that only God can do. And S, He is seated on the throne of God. So let's, let's quickly go through these one by one. First, Jesus shares the honor due only to God. The Bible is crystal clear. There's only one God. We call this monotheism. And Muslims and Jews and Jehovah's Witnesses all agree on this. The Bible is clear. There's one God, and He and He alone deserves all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 3 to 5, You shall have no other gods before me. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Or Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord... That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So then what are we to think when Jesus says in John 5, verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And John 8, 54, when Jesus says, My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. And John 17, verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, if Jesus is less than God, if he's a created being, it would be nothing short of evil. God to share his glory with Jesus, a lesser being. How could Jesus allow his disciple Thomas to say to him, my Lord and my God? How could Jesus not correct his disciples after he walked on water in Matthew 14? It says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. This is, this is pure blasphemy. Unless it was somehow possible that although there is only one true God, He didn't just have one person, but three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being. Unless Jesus is actually God in human form. Unless, as it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the exact representation of his being in Colossians 2 verse 9 that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form so first Jesus shares the honor due only to God glory praise and worship second Jesus shares the attributes of God he shares God's eternal pre-existence only God is eternal. The Bible makes that clear. And Jesus says, He has always existed. John 1, In the beginning was the Word, that is, the Son. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
or John 8, 58, before Abraham was born, I am. Or John 17, 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So Jesus shares God's eternal nature. He also shares God's knowledge. John 6, verse 64, Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Or Mark 2, verse 8, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And you can find many more texts like that. Jesus also shares God's power. Power to still the sea, to multiply fish and bread, to turn water into wine. And then Jesus confirms this in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, Jesus shares the honors due to God and the attributes of God. And then third, Jesus shares the names ascribed to God. Most decisively, Jesus is called God. John 1.1, 1, 1, the Word was God. John 1.18, the one and only Son who is Himself God. Romans 9 verse 5 refers to the Messiah who is God over all. 2 Peter 1 verse 1, our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 verse 8, about the Son, He, that is the Father, says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Jesus is also called Lord and Saviour and King. Philippians 2 tells us that God gave Him the name that is above every name. In Isaiah 44 and 48, God refers to Himself as the first and the last. But in Revelation 1 verse 17, in Revelation 22 verse 13, Jesus declares, I am the first and the last. He claims that name for Himself. And Jesus even claims God's special name, I am. That's what God said to Moses in Exodus 3 verse 14, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And then in John's Gospel, we find seven times Jesus refers to himself in the absolute, I am. We saw that in John 8, 58, he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And there are another seven I am statements that Jesus makes as well. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and so on. So Jesus shares the names of God. And then fourth, Jesus does deeds that only God can do. Now, the Old Testament is crystal clear. There's only one creator. It's God himself. But then we read of Jesus in John 1 verse 3, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 say the same thing, that God alone is creator, but Jesus creates. Hebrews 1, 2-3 also says that Jesus sustains all things, which is another thing that only God can do. And we see in Matthew 8 that Jesus controls the wind and the waves, which only God can do. 
The Bible is also clear that God alone is the judge of all. And yet John 5.22 says the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus also forgives sins, which is something that only God can do. And in John 6, Jesus says he will give us eternal life. And yet God is very clear in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, that only He gives life. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. So, Jesus does the deeds that only God can do. Creating, sustaining, controlling, judging, forgiving, and giving life. And then fifth and finally, Jesus is seated on the throne of God. Jesus says in Revelation 3.21, I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. And again in Revelation 5.13, Jesus and the Father are worshipped together with these words. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. So there we go. A whirlwind tour, it barely scratches the surface, and yet I think it's already clear that Jesus is nothing less than divine. The second person of the Trinity, who together with the Father and the Holy Spirit is the one true God. And I hope maybe you can remember the HANDS acronym uh, next time someone asks you whether Jesus is really divine. It might help you remember this. But, while all of those proofs are pretty amazing, I realized as I was preparing this message that there's, there's a deeper question that we need to consider in all of this. And the question is, well, why did Jesus need to be God? You know, is all of that just a fun fact? Or is it a key building block? And that's what I want to consider, us to consider now for a couple of minutes. Why was it so important for Jesus to be divine? Well, first, it was important so that He could be God with us. Isn't that really the great storyline of the whole Bible? God and humans separated by sin. You know, we want to get up the mountain to God. That is our destiny. It's our deepest longing. But we can't get up. Which is why the incarnation is such amazing news. God, God comes down. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. But that's not all. Because Jesus is divine, second, He can reveal to us what God is really like. Jesus comes and He shows us what the Father is really like. He shows us in Himself that God is gentle and kind and gracious. And as Jack showed us last week, Jesus is really the key that unlocks the whole puzzle. The whole Bible, including the Old Testament, all fits together in Jesus and it gives us this breathtaking view of who God is, our triune God, three in one, perfectly holy and just, and yet abounding in love to sinners. But then third, Jesus not only needed to be divine so that He could be God with us and reveal God to us, but also so He could lead us home to God. 
Jesus brings us into relationship, not just with himself, but with the Father and the Spirit. And only if Jesus knows the Father and is one with the Father, can he lead us home to the Father. You don't, you don't want to be going up Mount Everest with a Sherpa who has never been up to the top before and doesn't know the way. It's because Jesus is divine that he can make this exclusive claim in John 14, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus isn't the Son of God, he can't know the way. He can't know the truth. He can't give us life and, and we're lost forever. Fourth, Jesus needed to be divine so that he could be sinless. If he were a human, just a human, then he wouldn't be able to die for our sins. He'd have to die for his own. It's the message of the whole Bible, isn't it? We can't save ourselves. A human can't save humanity because we're all sinners. Only God can save us. Only the righteous God-man born of a virgin without the sinful nature of an earthly father. He was the only sinless man to ever live. Fifth, Jesus needed to be divine so that he could bear the infinite weight of God's wrath. Only Jesus with his infinite divine nature could bear the infinite weight of God's wrath. Sixth, Jesus needed to be divine so that he could rise again. Only God is the author of life the one who reigns over death. So we needed a champion who could not only bear our sin, but also conquer death. And seventh, Jesus needed to be divine so that he could mediate for us. Only the God-man can come between fallen humanity and a holy God. Only the holy Son of God can sit in heaven right now at God's right hand and intercede for us. It's because of him that we can approach God every day for help and for grace. All right, where does that leave us? How is this all helpful to us? Well, I think more than anything else, this leads us to love Jesus more, to worship him more, more fully. If you see a man, he's dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, he's helping homeless people around Launceston, gives them money, shares conversation with them, you'll think, that is a nice guy, that is a kind guy. But it's not a particularly amazing thing to do. But if you knew that that man was in fact a king, that he was one of the most powerful people in the world, with thousands of servants and billions of dollars, then I suspect you'd actually be staggered to see him sitting on the footpath in Launceston befriending those in need. And likewise, it's the fact that Jesus is the eternal, glorious, all-powerful Son of God that makes His incarnation, His being with us, so staggering, so beautiful, so sacrificial. How could we not love and worship a man like that? Understanding the divinity of Jesus is also helpful to us because it helps us to refute error helps us to see more clearly where other religions and worldviews go astray. Heresies almost always have something to do with a faulty view of Christ. 
Because a faulty view of Christ is not something minor. Uh, it's actually often a matter of life and death, saved or not. It says in 1 John 2, 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Uh, in order to spot fake money, fake currency, counterfeit, people don't go out and study every type of fake money that there is. Uh, you're better off spending your time getting to know everything about real money. Get to know how it looks and how it feels and how it smells. And then when fake money comes along, you'll be able to detect it. And it's the same when it comes to theological errors. You don't have to go out and spend all your time reading up on every possible heresy. We spend our time in the Word getting to know the real Jesus. And as we do that, we're equipped to detect when something isn't quite right. As we finish, let me ask you a question. It's, it's possibly one of the most important questions you could ever consider. Who do you say that Jesus is? C.S. Lewis famously said, we only have three choices. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Now, we really want, I think, to put him in another category, the category of great prophet, uh, moral guru, wise teacher. And C.S. Lewis says, I'm sorry, that's not an option. Because Jesus claimed he was nothing less than God. Let's think about that for a second. If that's not actually true, if, if Jesus isn't really God, then he must have been a lunatic must have been raving mad, out of his mind, totally deluded, going around earth telling everyone he was God. But how could that be when anyone who reads the words of Jesus encounters one of the most genius, intelligent, wise people to ever live and speak? Well, then if he isn't God and he isn't crazy, that must mean that he's a liar. He's history's greatest con man. He's an evil man who delights in misleading and deceiving other people. But how can that be? When Jesus is surely one of the most humble, loving, servant-hearted people to ever live. And who would die for a lie? Well, if he wasn't a lunatic or a liar, where does that leave us? Perhaps he was just a legend. Maybe the Jesus we discover in the Bible isn't the real Jesus. But if that were true, if Jesus is just a legend, then we're saying that his followers pulled off the greatest deception in human history. How could they have published all these fake accounts of Jesus' life, even though there were still thousands of eyewitnesses alive at the time who would have immediately discredited them? And why would they have been willing to go and suffer the rest of their lives and then die for something that they knew was a lie? What benefit was that to them? You can see C.S. Lewis's logic, can't you? Where does that leave us? Well, if he wasn't a lunatic and he wasn't a liar and he's not just a legend, 
then we do seriously have to consider whether he might have been exactly who he said he was, the Lord, the eternal, divine Son of God. And if that's true, then it's the most wonderful news in the whole world for all who believe in him. It is, it is the relief of being lost and finding someone who knows the way home. It's the relief of being broke and being befriended by a billionaire. It's the relief of deserving the death penalty and then having someone die in your place. Of being a nobody, but finding an influential friend in the highest of places. What a gift, hey? God's own son. Let's give him the praise he deserves. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us your Son. What a sacrifice that was. Your beloved Son, who you had been with forever, in perfect love, in glory, and you gave him up for us, for lowly sinners, who deserve nothing but your judgment. And Lord Jesus, thank you for the sacrifice you made, becoming nothing, giving it all up, all the glory, all the prestige, all the honor, becoming a man, so that we could know your Father, so that he could become our Father, so that you could bear all the wrath, even after living the only perfect life ever lived on this earth. Lord Jesus, you deserve all the glory. You deserve to be where you are right now, seated at the right hand of your Father's throne, praised by throngs in heaven, and praised by us here today, this afternoon, doing our feeble best Lord, to give you the glory that you deserve. We thank you, we praise you, Lord Jesus, for being the God-man, now and forevermore. Amen.